Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. As Pastor Joel continues his study in the book of Genesis, we are in chapter 13 with a message entitled, Abraham and Lot Separate. I'm going to begin today by reading uh, from God's Word in the book of Genesis, uh, in chapter starting in chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, we're on page 9. So really, beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 13, I'd like to begin in the first verse. If you wouldn't mind standing, if you're able to, as I read, we'll read this, the first seven verses. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Let's stop right there and let me pray. Lord, thanks so much that we can gather together. Uh, Lord, that there's not a war going on around us, uh, that we can... Uh, gather in safety that we have protection to be able to read your word, to worship and gather and pray together. But I do want to pray for those churches who don't have that luxury this morning. Lord, that people that are gathering together in basements and huddled around and in, in homes in China, uh, Lord, I just pray for a special blessing for uh, all of those people, that they would sense your presence. But Lord, we want to sense your presence here this morning as well. So Lord, I, I pray that as we come to your word, we would sense the need and the urgency to hear from you. And in a broken and chaotic uh, world, Lord, we need to hear from you. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning as we look at your words. Lord, that you'd open our ears, that we could hear what you'd have us uh, hear. And, and Lord, soften our hearts so that we could respond to the gospel, we could respond to your calling uh, to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. Well, Abram and Lot, they returned from Egypt, uh, which we were in last week, with lots of stuff. I mean, they've got a lot of, lot of stuff. So cattle and sheep and gold and silver and all these servants and tents, just a lot of, of stuff. They've settled in this land, and it's gotten pretty uncomfortable because they're there with Lot and Abram are together, and there's just too much stuff that they have, that their herdsmen are like bumping into each other, uh, and, and there's strife, and they're hearing about these things that are just, there's stuff not, it's just uncomfortable. It's just not going right, and they, they figure, we can't keep living like this. Something needs to change. Now, before we get to the message, though, I actually want to set this message up with a tension that I wrestle with in my, in my own heart. 
Uh, see, when I grew up, we, we traveled and moved a, a ton. I, I grew up in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and then over to Ohio, and we're there for a long time, and then down to Georgia, and then I lived in Illinois and Colorado, and then out here, and then from there, we just kept on moving, me and my wife, over to Slovenia, and then South Carolina, and back here. Just lots of traveling. So every two years in me, there's like this bug of like, oh, I got to go somewhere new or what's the next place we're going to, to go to. And, and I feel it the most when there's something uncomfortable or, or something that's just not quite right. I, I feel the need to like, oh, let me, uh, let me look at where I could go that may be easier. That would be like, boy, that, maybe that would be uh, fulfilling. We've lived in the house we're in now for over 10 years, which is the longest I've lived anywhere. And in that time, my brother, my middle brother, has moved all over, and he's now in Georgia. He just bought this 10-acre plot of land. He's building a big house on it and a barn. And do you know what, I'm just telling you, do you know what kind of house you can get in Georgia for the kind of money that, that you have in your house? We do not have a big house. But when I looked for where my brother was uh, building this land, I just put in on Zillow. Have you ever done this, Zillow? And you just put in, like, okay, you can do a range of, of numbers. So I put our house, how much our house would, would sell for here, which probably is true, and I put it into Georgia. And, and let me show you some pictures of, of the houses that I found. Uh, all of them, Dan, can we, all of them have... Okay, I, I, I don't... I'm like, I thought maybe I should invite Amy to leave for this time because for the same money that, I don't know how this works, for the same money that we have here, we could buy either of those houses in Georgia. And so there, there's, uh, there's, something, there's something in me when I'm, when I'm feeling like, oh, not, when something's not quite right, I look at that and go, boy, isn't that the nice life? And I'm just telling you, in, in Georgia, there is probably, I can almost guarantee it, a church right around the corner from both of those uh, places. Not only that, there's a Chick-fil-A right around the corner, and a Hobby Lobby, and an In-N-Out Burger. And when you go to the kids' sports, if it's a Saturday night, I'm sure the announcer, because I've heard it before, will announce and go, hey, remember, it's Saturday night. Make sure you get up and go to church tomorrow. You look at that and go, man, with the uncomfortableness of what's here. Uh, especially the last several years, the liberal bubble that we're in that costs too much money, and, and you start making decisions on where you should go and what you should do based on what you see or, or what, what seemed might be easier or, or, or what would be maybe, uh, maybe just a little bit more comfortable. Now, in the same way that I can tend uh, to, to when life gets uncomfortable or unsettled, I can tend to look out with my eyes and see, oh, wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be just great? I can evaluate things on what I see and, and make decisions on what's more comfortable for me. We're going to see in our story today that Lot and Abraham both have to make a decision, uh, unsettled, and where are they going to go? What are they going to do? And we're going to see that Lot in his story does just that. He looks out and goes, oh, that's like the Garden of God. That's like Egypt. And that decision, looking back on it, actually leads to destruction and, and ruin. But there's the main point of our message today is that the absolute best place to be is right where the Lord calls you to be. The absolute best place you can ever go may not ever have a pool and be beside a lake. 
The absolute best place you could be is wherever God calls you to be. Now, if that is in Georgia by a pool, so be it. <laughs> but the absolute best place to be is where the Lord calls you. And you might be sitting here this morning going, well, that's great, but where's the Lord calling me? Like, how do I know what he's calling me to do? How do I decide when things get unsettled and uncomfortable, what am I supposed to do? Well, this brings us back to our text today. We're going to see Abram and Lot. They're unsettled. Where should we go? What should we do? Where should we be? And they're both going to do similar things, but in very opposite ways. They're both going to lift their eyes up. You're going to see that phrase in the text. They both lift their eyes up and see something, but see very different things. And then they both move their tents but in very different places. So we began today by reading about Lot and Abram. They returned to the promised land with lots of stuff. And if you remember how they got lots of stuff, well, they went down to Egypt, and there uh, uh, Abram, goes, Abram goes, hey, this is not really my wife. Uh, she's my sister. And then they take him, and then he ends up getting blessed. Like he gets all this stuff because of that. And, and then Pharaoh sends him back, and so he goes back to the promised land, and he's got all this stuff, which seems like a blessing, but, but now it's actually causing lots of problems. All these, these herdsmen are, like, fighting, and there's, like, division and, 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 and like, just this uh, tense in the family, and they need more space. And then we found out there's other tribes there, too, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and, and, and this unsettledness brings the question to the forefront for both Lot and Abram. Where are we supposed to go? What should we do? So let's pick up our story in verse 8. So Genesis 13 and verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Let's stop right there for just a second. If you remember last week, God's command to Abram was to go. Leave your country and your kindred, your kinsmen. And here, just a chapter later, we find Abram going to Lot. Hey, we're, we're kinsmen, right? He's like, well, wait a minute. Is he even supposed to, is he even supposed to be there? And, and we found out that Lot, and even in the section we read, that Lot is there with him. Lot has been there with him. Lot has there, been there with him. Continue on, verse 9. Is not the whole land before you, Abram says, so separate yourself from me. Let's stop again for just a second. It's very curious to me as I was reading this, uh, why the decision, like, let's separate. Maybe because Abram was like, hey, you shouldn't have been with me all this, all this time. Uh, or, or wasn't there any other options that there was than just to, to separate and split? I mean, couldn't he have given all that stuff back? All those servants, give them back to Egypt, let them go back to their families. It would have saved them a headache in just another chapter or two ahead. But he held on to all the stuff. Well, I can't get rid of my stuff, so what are we going to do? Well, let's, we got to split. Because my, my stuff is almost too important. Why didn't he just go, hey, we have so much stuff. We have an overflow of stuff. Let's give it to the poor. Let's just bless some poor tribes that are, that are struggling. Or, or why not just go, hey, we're going to have this amazing worship celebration where we're going to sacrifice a ton of animals and have this awesome party. And invite everyone to come. What a witness that it could have been. I mean, there were so many other options. But, but we jump right to the decision of Abram. Like, okay, uh, we need to separate. You, you go away, away from me. Let's continue on. Second part of verse 9. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. 
And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. I mean, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We'll stop right there. We see it's decision time. Life gets unsettled, and so Abraham goes, where do you want to go? You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go, I'll go right. And in this section, we're just going to consider, consider Lot, how he makes uh, this decision of when life's unsettled, where should I go? Uh, first, let me show you a map, uh, a map of uh, the land. As you can see, they've returned from Egypt up to the top. I don't know if you can uh, see it up there, to a little place near Bethel and Ai, uh, there's these two little towns. They're in the, the Judean mountainside. Uh, they're high up on a, a mountain, and there's these two little towns, Bethel and Ai, up there. Do you see them all the way at the top of the, the map there? So they choose to camp in between these two little uh, towns. And it, it's kind of, kind of curious, even the, the names uh, of these towns. Uh, one's, on, one's on the west side, one's on the east side, one's on the right, one's on the left. Uh, and, and the names of the towns are very interesting. Uh, you might know uh, Bethel means Beit El, means house of God. It's the house of God. A Ai, on the other hand, it means ruins. Uh, the Hebrew root of that, it means actually to do wrong, to be twisted, to be bent. Uh, so on the one side you have Bethel, the house of God, and the other side you have like this heap of ruins, uh, this bent, twisted Place. In between those is where uh, Abram and Lot set up, one on the right, one on the left, one on the west, and one on the east. And, and, and it's almost as if the story is setting us up to see, which, which way are you going to go? Well, Abram, I, in this really risky move, goes, okay, Lot, where do you want to go? If you choose left, I'll choose right. If you choose right, I'll choose left. And we're not exactly sure. We're not given the motive of Abram in this. We don't know if he's just trying to be a nice guy who's being very generous and going, hey, the Lord will figure it all out. Or if it's because of their strife that Abram once again is like, hey, I'm willing to give up whatever so that there wouldn't be like this strife, like Pharaoh and him and now Lot in him. And I'm willing to give up the inheritance, the promise of both my wife with Pharaoh and now the land with Lot. But, but whatever it is, it doesn't really matter because the Lord is sovereignly working all, all of this out. Well, if you were hearing this when uh, it was uh, first written down in Moses' day later on, and you heard that Abram offered, hey, Lot, choose whatever side you want to go, uh, you would have held your breath. Because Lot was the father of both the Moabites and the Ammonites. These tribes that were completely against the, the Israelites. And, and Abram just offered the promised land and said, you take whatever you want, Moabites, Ammonites. And the Israelites would have been like, oh, don't do that. 
But God's sovereign, and he's working, and he's using this plan, and he, he may be even using the evil desires of Lot and what he sees and what he thinks is good for himself uh, for God's uh, plan to keep Abram in the land. But anyhow, there's three things that Lot does in the decision-making process. Three, three things I want to point out from, from the text. Uh, if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, he lifts up his eyes. He lifts up his eyes, and he sees this valley. He's on a mountain, and he looks down below, and he goes, Whoa, it's all green. It's like well watered. I mean, there's fruit on the trees over there that you can just pluck. It, it's, like the, it's like the garden of God. It, it's like Egypt. And it's funny that he even overlays those two stories in. Because if you have been reading along in Genesis, you, you know, you've, you've seen what happens in both the garden of God and in Egypt. You see that, that people... Uh, they see something as good, and they take it for themselves without considering what the Lord would have. To see something as good and, and to take it. Well, Lot looks down there and says, Lord, I'll have everything provided for me. I wouldn't even need the Lord, really, because everything I would need would be right there. It, it seems literally like the grass is greener on the other side. So he sees it, he sees it's good, and he takes it. I think, how often do we make decisions based on that? that? That we don't rely on the Lord. We don't stop and pray. We say, what's comfortable? What, what can I rely on for myself? What, what can I get independent? And we make these short-sighted decisions that make us feel good. It feels easy. It feels comfortable. He lifts his eyes up and Lot sees this valley. The grass is greener on the other side. Here's the second thing. He settles in the cities in the east. We see this in verse 11 and, and 12. He, said he's, he settles in the cities in the east. And it's interesting that it's like almost like a halfway point. Uh, he settles in the cities. He can't settle in all the cities, but it says he settles in the cities in the east. It's almost like he's popping around from city to city trying to find out, where, where do I want to be? Uh, and also, if you notice, in the biblical story, both the, both the ideas of east and cities are bad things, right? Both cities and east are bad things. Uh, Cain, when he kills his brother, the very next thing it says, the Bible says he does, is he goes east and he builds a city. Uh, the people of Babylon are trying to make a name for themselves, show how independent and strong they are. And so what do they do? In the east, they build a tower and a city. And now we have Lot, who goes to the east, out of the promised land, to settle in cities. To just have the easy life. To just pluck from the fruit. He lifts up his eyes and he settles in these cities in the east. And that move finally gets to his last move, where he moves his tent. Number three, he moved his tent. And it says as far as Sodom. He, he like really like said, yep, this is the life for me. I'm plunging all in. I'm going to live in, in Sodom. Sodom. Well, reading this story, you'd know, we know this story. But even if it was the first time you've read this story, you could have like picked it up from the author's thing. Well, this is before Sodom was destroyed. You're like, oh, Sodom's going to be destroyed? Yeah, because there's really evil, wicked people there. And we see, we see uh, Lot pick up his tent and move and, and settle down as far as Sodom. That place will be destroyed. He, he picks up his identity and no longer is it just dabbling in it. He, this is all him. 
he becomes a resident of Sodom, which means that he is a sodomite. Even that term, like, it's just cringeworthy, isn't it? Because, because we know, but somehow he compromised over the time, made this decision on what his eyes saw, what was comfortable, what he could get now, and then all of a sudden you can just see that it's going to lead to destruction. It was almost as if Lot was going, how far away from the Lord can I get and still be blessed and still have a good life? Well, <laughs> we know the end of it. Going away from the Lord is, is not the good, good life. So let's switch now to our focus on, on Abram. How, how, does, how well does he do? After Lot separates, God graciously leads Abram to a much better place. Uh, but not because Abram's any, any better, actually. It's only by the grace of God. Uh, it mirrors Lot in the decision, but it's kind of opposite. And you'll see there's some interesting twists on things. He lifts up his eyes as well. And he also uh, settled, moves his tent. Verse 14. Follow along with me. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. So now he's ready. The Lord said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk, go through the, through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now let's put that map back up for just a second because as we've seen, Lot goes down to, towards Zor, Zor, down to the south there, the Dead Sea, uh, crosses the promised land and goes into the desert where there's Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah south out of the promised land. Abram actually ends up uh, moving his tent to a place called Hebron. This is the first place it's mentioned, Hebron. It's in the middle of the promised land on those mountains in Judea. It's the first mention of Hebron, and if you're hearing this story, you would know this place has deep significance, deep meanings, even for, even for Israelites today. Uh, Hebron is the place where Abram's wife, Sarah, uh, ends up dying, and he wants to bury her. And so he goes to the tribes of the land and says, I want to buy uh, this cave, this land, so I can bury my wife. And they're like, okay, just have it. And they're like, no, 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 I need to exchange, we need to have an exchange for this because I want this this place to be mine, like to be ours. Uh, and so he buys it. It's really the first place that the Israelites like, owned. Like he can say, hey, no, we have a deed, deed for this. So, so Sarah's buried there. Uh, Abram's buried there. His, his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, are both buried there. Uh, when the people come up from Egypt and, and they send the spies into the land, they come to Hebron. To see, the, to see the land. This is the place where there was the seed planted a long time ago of, of faith. And then finally David, and we just studied this this whole last year, when David is anointed king, do you remember where he's anointed king? Hebron. It's the same place. So, so now Abram doesn't know. He just moves his tent to, to Hebron, but everyone hearing that goes, wow, that's cool. The first mention of Hebron Sodom, 
isn't going to end up being destroyed. But Hebron, we're going to see, is going to be continued to be central to the story of, of Israel. Well, let me, let me point out three things in terms of Abram. But two of them actually are done to him. And then the last thing he does himself. Uh, so the last three things. It's very, very similar to Lot, but actually just opposite. Uh, number one, the Lord said, lift up your eyes. The Lord says, him, lift up your eyes. Now's the time. I want you to lift up your eyes. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see all the land because I'm giving it to you. And I want, I'm going to not only give it to you, I'm going to give it to your kids as well. You know, this land, north, south, east, and west. And he looks around and what does he see? Canaanites and Perizzites. And the Lord says, this is going to be your land. And it's not only your land, it's going to be your children's land. And what's he see? He sees a barren wife. The Lord says, lift up your eyes and look with faith to what I'm calling you to. You may not see it right now, but I'm calling you. Just walk in this way. He says, you see that dust on the ground? Yeah, that's going to be like your kids and your descendants. You need to lift up your eyes and have eyes to see with, that are full of faith in what God is calling you to. And then go that direction. The best place to be is where the Lord's calling you to be. Don't look to what is. Don't look to, boy, this could be an easy life. Or don't, don't look to a house in Georgia that has a really awesome pool. All that's really fun to think about. That's not the best place for us. And, and there would probably end in destruction just like Lot. There would probably be some internal rot going on. So the Lord says to him, lift up your eyes. It's different than Lot lifting up his eyes and, hit, and looking for what he wants. The, the second thing, the Lord says to him again, he says, arise and walk. Arise and walk. Live. The, these eyes of faith that you have seen, I'm showing you the whole land. Now I want you to respond in faith and I want you to go. I want you to take steps of faith and go and walk through the whole land of Israel. Walk the whole land of Israel. You know how long that would have taken? I don't know. A long time. That's a long time. You're up and down mountains. Uh, you are just traveling over and over. You're going through enemy territory. They're looking at some crazy old man who's just walking around and probably thinking, are you lost? Like, this is gonna, this is, he's asking him to rise and walk. Take courage. Risk, move, do something because you have eyes of faith that the Lord is calling you to something, take a risk and do it. It would be a hard journey, but can you imagine what kind of journey that would have been? I, I, I can only imagine because the text is quiet here. If, if Abram would have gone on this journey through the whole promised land, if God would have been right there and going, you know what I'm going to do right here? This is going to be amazing. You're not even going to believe it. I'm going to send fire from heaven right here on this mountain. Uh, over here, uh, over here is where you're going to hear, you're going to hear you're going to have a kid. Uh, over here is where the, where the people are going to finally come together. Over here is where you're going to send prophets and they're going to, they're going to call the people back. Over here, oh, this is a good one. Over here is where you're going to send the Messiah. If Abram would have just arisen and walked and gone, what kind of journey that would have been like? That, that journey of faith for Abram's life. It, it was the decision that Abram had to make right then. Uh, will you arise and go? Uh, what will your grandkids say of you? 
Um, I, I often think of uh, when I have grandkids and great-grandkids, what are they going to say about grandpa or great-grandpa? Uh, when I'm passed on and I'm gone, will, will people say of you, you know, they lived a really safe life? Or they were really comfortable? Is that what you want people to say? Or do you want them to say he or she walked with God? They had this life of courage and passion and how they moved and responded to the faith of God and the calling that he had. For them. Like even to do things that didn't make sense. Well, what's your story going to be? Because the Lord's calling each one of us, arise and walk. Now, we don't actually know if Abram did this. There's some uh, speculation in the text. Because the next thing we get, uh, it, it doesn't seem like he walked the whole land. Uh, it seems like he just moved his tent a little bit and settled down. Uh, number three. So the, Lord, the first one, the Lord said, look up at your eyes and see. See with eyes of faith. Number two, he said, arise and walk. Respond to that faith and go. Number three, Abram moves his tent and settles. It's a little bit of a letdown, isn't it? Uh, but you'll see why it's not, because there is uh, an immense amount of hope in even the small step of, of faith that Abram did. He, he's, he moves his tent and settles uh, by these trees in Mamre, well, you know, Hebron. Well, the early listeners, they would see the significance of this. This would be a place where the Israelites would return over and over, and they would return all the time to this place. It would be central to the story as they rebel against the Lord, and the Lord calls them back to be his people. As they rebel against the Lord, and the Lord redeems them and brings them back, a place they would return over and over again. Those trees on the mountains of Hebron would serve as a symbol of God's promise to his people. Well, it's even interesting to know the name of the town Hebron. Hebron means to bind together, to ally, uh, to ally oneself, to couple, to join together. It's the symbol on the, on the mountain, a tree on the mountain where God would join himself to his people and say, no matter where you go and how far away you've gone, I'm going to bring you back. He would join himself to a broken people, not because he would think, boy, they're going to get it right someday, but that someday he would send his son who, who would, we would allow us to join into him. This, this God who is faithful to the end is symboled by this tree on a mountain in the promised land. We could look at both those and go, which, which place would you want to go? And the very best place to be is right where the Lord's calling you. So where's the, Lord, where's the Lord calling you this morning? Don't, don't look with your eyes to see, boy, what would be easy? What would be comfortable? What would I get the most out of it for me? If you do that, it's, if you see like a lot's going to end up in destruction, this internal rot going on. The, the best decision to make is what's the Lord calling me to. What are the promises that he has in his word? What, what's he asking me to do, step out and do, and, and to follow him? knowing that he'll be faithful till the end. With eyes of faith, based on the promises of God, make decisions then based uh, on things that will bring you closer to your spouse and not further away. 
Uh, not decisions based on am I happy or am I unhappy. Make decisions that bring about reconciliation and redemption. Not splitting and I'm never going to talk to them again. Make decisions that you wouldn't have to excuse or hide from your kids or your grandkids. Make decisions that you don't have to justify with something. So when you come to a decision, and ask, even this week, what do I see? And compare that to what is it that I know God tells me in his word? Uh, ask yourself in these decisions, am I settling for less? Or am I responding full of faith with courage to step out? Ask yourself, what identity am I, identity am I accepting? Who am I binding myself to with this decision? Who am I joining myself with in this decision? And then remember Hebron, those trees on the mountain, and that God will bind himself to his people, and that is good news. Let me uh, pray, and then we're going to tr transition to one more thing. Lord, uh, as we each, boy, I just feel it, the uncomfortableness of this world and the brokenness and uh, the things just going crazy in schools and politics and all around us in the world in general. Um, Lord, and I just want to uh, pray that we would all hear your voice the loudest, that we wouldn't get um, deceived into thinking uh, the garden of God is somewhere where it's not. <laughs> Lord, that we wouldn't uh, just settle and hunker down and waste our lives, but we'd be people who uh, courageously follow after you. And in the decisions we make even this week, Lord, I pray that we would, uh, we would know that we're in the place where you'd want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Coming up, pause you a second. We're going to do one more uh, thing. We actually get to transition now uh, because now it's a cool thing. Talk about God binding himself to his people. We get no better picture of that than in baptism. Uh, baptism is, is just an amazing symbol from the very first pages of the Bible all the way uh, up until the very end. Uh, the baptism means it's a, place, uh, it's a place you go into. In the Old Testament, water meant death. And if we hold you underwater, guess what happens? You die. But the Christian hope of good news is that when we put you in the water in death, you... you Take on this new identity. You're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your identity becomes uh, onto that. You're being baptized really uh, like Moses and the Israelites into the water. You go into the water a slave, and you come up out of the water a child of the king. There's an identity change that happens there. Uh, there is a death that happens there, that Jesus dies in your place, and you are raised to new life with him again. There's a binding that happens there, not because you're strong enough, but because God through Jesus was strong enough to go, I'm, I'm keeping my people, I'm holding my people through death and resurrection. So it's a great step of obedience in the Lord and a great step of just a symbol to show everyone, uh, I have died with Christ and I'm resurrected with Christ. Well, we have the op awesome opportunity. So Miranda and, and Garrett, let me invite you guys up here. So Miranda and Garrett and James and Patty and the whole, that, whole, that whole family's been coming. As you see, they've been busy, uh, having lots of kids. 
but there is a there's a work going on in their little cul-de-sac down there um, that's been happening. They've been getting together on Wednesday nights to study the Bible uh, with Mike and Debbie Reynolds. Um, and the Lord's just been doing a work in your heart. So Miranda came a little bit ago and asked me if she wanted to be baptized. So he, let me just allow her to share a little bit of her story. Hi, I'm Miranda. This is my husband, Garrett, and my son, Elijah. Uh, so <laughs> he's knocked out still. <laughs> no, nope, not anymore. Oh, he's awake now? Okay, yeah. good. Um, so about a month ago, I was, um, I was having a pretty rough night, and um, my sweet mother-in-law found me. And she hugged me and um, just reassured me that everything was going to be okay. And we prayed together, and she helped me fully accept Jesus into my heart. And it's been really wonderful and exciting for my family and I. And um, you guys have been so sweet to us, and it's just such an inspiring church. And we just wanted to share that excitement with you. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, I'm going to have the elders come on up. So Craig and Dean and Mike, you can come on up too. And we're, we're so excited of what this means uh, for you personally in your walk with Jesus, but also what it means for your family uh, and what it will mean for Elijah as an example of his mom uh, doing this as well and walking with Jesus. And we just have, uh, we're full of hope and faith that the journey that you're walking on in faith right now uh, the Lord's going to bless it, and it'll be the very best place to be. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for moving in Miranda's life and heart and calling her to yourself. And Lord, that she can have full assurance knowing that uh, she has placed her trust and faith in you, that, and she wants to demonstrate that by baptism, knowing that she's been uh, both died and buried and resurrected with you, Lord, so that she'll has eternal life with you, that everyone who's given them uh, given their heart and life to you, is bound to you, Lord. And that, that binding in the Holy Spirit and walking with you, Lord, that you're faithful till the end of that. So, Lord, I just pray that you would have a special blessing on this family, uh, that one day Elijah would make the same decision in his life and follow his mom in the waters of baptism, uh, that he would know uh, who you are as well. And, Lord, I just pray for a special time in these next few minutes as we worship and we respond in our own lives and our own hearts. And what a reminder it is for all of us uh, that we have been bound to you. And Lord, help us to respond with eyes of faith and action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.